This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the Word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the Tuesday edition of The Word to Stand On for Life. My name is Pastor Ken Cruzado, and I have the great privilege of filling in for my pastor this week. Pastor Ron Arbaugh and Paula are both on vacation. Uh, If you are tuning in for the first time this week, yesterday I said that they arrived safely there in California, and they are already relaxing on the beach. They uh, want me to say hello and how much they miss you uh, to the radio listening audience, and they would really appreciate your prayers. This is a time of year when Pastor Ron and Paula go and just be with Jesus. They sit on their bench, they're facing the Pacific Ocean, and uh, they just seek the Lord and, and see what Jesus wants uh, for the church body, for uh, for the things, the direction uh, of, of the ministries here. So we would really appreciate if you would keep them in your prayers. In the meantime, the radio show continues. So I have the privilege of filling in for him this week. I'll be live on the radio uh, as usual at 4 o'clock here on The Word to Stand On for Life, taking your Bible questions, questions about uh, the Word of God, about doctrine, about how to put the Word of God into practice in your life. Uh, the date the edition will also continue on Thursday we'll, when my beautiful wife May sits in the studio with me. So that'll be in a couple days. Uh, but today's Tuesday, which means here at Calvary Chapel, we don't have anything really going on. It's one of the very few times of the week where it's very quiet. You know, school is out and, and things are a little bit quiet around here. Uh, so, Nothing going on tonight at church here at Calvary Chapel. Uh, I wanted to give you the phone numbers. Let me start with that. 210-340-9585. 210-340-9585. The toll-free number is 877-630-5757. That's 877 877- Six three zero five seven five seven. The email address, if you want to submit a question, is questions at calvarysa.com. Questions at calvarysa.com. You can also submit questions through our mobile app if you choose to do so. Uh, well, now that I've given you the question, I mean, the, the, the way to contact us and the way to call in, uh, I wanted to jump right into the questions and start off by uh, elaborating on the last question from yesterday. 
uh, Sue submitted the question that was vitally important, and I just didn't have enough time to really e elaborate. So um, bear with me, if you will, for just a, a few minutes as we start off. Her question yesterday was, how do you get... How do you get my thoughts past the pain? I think she meant, how do I get my thoughts past the pain I know I've already been forgiven of? And what I began to talk about yesterday was uh, the passage, the, the important passage in 2 Corinthians 5, where Paul the Apostle reminds us, those of us who are born again, that we are brand new creations in Christ. And this is so important because what that means is everything from our past, is in the past. And when the enemy tries to press rewind and play, rewind and play in our thoughts and in our thought life, we, when we entertain those thoughts, we are going to relive past pain. Now, it doesn't mean that we pretend like nothing happened, but what Jesus has told us, his promise is that we are brand new, that the old is gone and the new has come. All this is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ. I also mentioned how Paul the Apostle, in his letter to the Philippians, says something also important about the past. He says, the one thing that I do is, is forget what is behind. He's talking about good things and bad things in the context there. And the idea is this, you cannot cling to the things of the past and at the same time walk forward with Jesus. It's just impossible. And so Paul says, I forget what's behind. And straining toward what is ahead, pressing onward toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. That's how we get past the pain. Will it come up? It will, Sue. And this is so important because uh, both the good things and the bad things from our past. Paul says these are the things that we have to leave behind. We, we, we consider them rubbish so that we can pursue Jesus. And, and I do, in the counseling that, that we do here at church, one of the things that we see time and time again in the lives of believers is is the trap that the enemy sets before them of giving in to thoughts that they know are not from Jesus. Whether it's guilt, shame, or pain, uh, pain that we caused or pain that, that was caused to us from somebody else. Uh, I don't mean to minimize that, but what Jesus says is that you're a brand new creation in Christ because that's when you can be fruitful for the Lord. When you cling to the, the, the upward calling. Onward, uh, press onward towards a goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward. That's the joy that comes from being with Jesus. Anyways, I wanted to, to open up the show and spend a few minutes uh, on elaborating on this because this is so vitally important. So, Sue, if you're listening again, I'm probably not, but I, 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 I hope that that answers your question. Let's move on. We do have uh, some questions submitted, uh, so we'll just keep going. 
Again, if you want to call into the radio show, let me give you the numbers quickly. 210-340-9585. 210-340-9585. The toll-free number is 877-630-5757. And that email address is questions at Sa. Dot com. So Christian submits a question and he says, I feel like I'm failing. I want to have a victorious Christian life, but I often feel spiritually drained and discouraged. I know I'm not as close to the Lord as I used to be, but I'm not in any outright sin. So what do I do? Well, Christian, this is another important question. Uh, you mentioned uh, the victorious Christian life. And uh, I, I, this is one thing that's so important for us to understand. As born-again believers, uh, the victorious Christian life is just being with Jesus. He's the one that's already attained the victory. Too often, Christians have this misunderstanding that the victorious Christian life is is claiming, uh, you know, claiming things and 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 engaging in warfare uh, with the devil and 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 binding him. And I don't know if that's what you're talking about. Um, but if that is, that's that's not what the victorious Christian life is about. The victorious Christian life is just simply being with Jesus. And you'd mentioned here that you feel spiritually drained and discouraged. One of the things that's key to having a victorious Christian life is understanding what the Word of God says. Now, Christian, I want you to pay attention and listen very, very closely. Because the closeness you have, the intimacy you have to Jesus is what matters, not your performance. When you gauge your performance uh, when you let your performance gauge your uh, how your walk with the Lord is doing, well, then you're going to feel drained and depressed because you're putting the pressure on yourself. But as a born-again Christian, what we have to realize is this. Romans chapter 3 says we are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Both words, justified and came, referred to the cross, the past tense. You were already justified. When? On the cross. And since Jesus paid the price for your sin and attained the victory over your sin, then the life that you live now, you live by faith in the Son of God who died for you and gave his life for you. That's why you always hear us say, just be with Jesus. Why? Well, he's already won the victory for you. And if we are caught up in the fighting or the engaging with the enemy ourselves through the silliness of you know, binding and, 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 and shouting at the devil, again, I don't know and I don't think that's what you're implying but that's not what a victorious Christian life looks like. 
Romans chapter 3, this is something you have to understand, says that we are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. I love that. I really, really do. Because it puts, it takes the pressure off of me. And it turns my attention back to the cross, what Jesus has already done for me. If I'm already justified, then I don't need to earn that because Jesus has done it for me. That's what you need to do. When you say you're not as close to the Lord as you used to be, but you're not in outright sin, well, if you allow distance between you and Jesus, then there's something wrong. Maybe you're not in outright sin and you're, you're not in obvious sin, but letting or allowing distance between you and Jesus is enough space for the enemy to get in there and just mess with you. And Christian, that's when you start to become discouraged. Don't let anything get in between you and Jesus. Your closeness to Jesus is what matters, not your performance. So Christian, I hope that helps you. Let's go turn to the phone lines. Line one, Jim from San Marcos, you're on the air. Hey, hey, voice sounds different. That's not Pastor Ron. Who is that? (laughs) Hi, Jim. This is Pastor Ken. What's your name? Ken. Pastor Ken, Ken. yes. Okay. Well, my question is, I I got uh, this discussion among a lot of friends. How does somebody know that they're born again? Is there... Is there a way for somebody to tell if they're, I'm talking about themselves, for themselves to tell if they've been born again or not? And I'll listen off the phone. Awesome, Jim. I, I recognize your voice, even if you don't recognize mine, because I know you, you call regularly. So thank you for calling in, Jim. And Pastor Ron, we'll be back in a, in a couple of weeks. But a wonderful question. So let's get right to it. How do you know when someone is born again? Or how does a person know when they are born again? It's simple. The Bible says, If you believe that Jesus Christ died for your sin and you put your faith in him, you make an active decision to put your faith in him. The Bible says that that person, you are born again. Now I would simply point to one of the best examples, which is in John chapter three, John chapter three, Nicodemus was someone who was truly seeking And when he went to talk to Jesus, he had questions. He wasn't sure if he was born again. Actually, he didn't even know about it. Jesus told him about it, and he was confused. That's when the Spirit of God began to work in him. That's when the words of Jesus really began to pierce his heart. And what I love most about Nicodemus is what we see later on. Later in John chapter 7, we remember Nicodemus again pops up in the narrative because he defends Jesus among the the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees. Uh, He stands up. He's the only one standing up among uh, among his peers and saying, why are we accusing him? And then later on, we see Nicodemus at the grave, at the tomb of Jesus. And this is significant, Jim, because your question about how do you know when somebody really is born again There's got to be a change in their life. Now, that's the outward. Now, we don't work from the outward in. We work, Jesus works from the inside out. Once once a heart is changed and becomes born again, what Jesus does is he replaces that person's heart with his. 
and he begins to make changes in their lives instead of trying to act like a Christian, instead of trying to change their behavior, it's Jesus working from the inside out through the power of his spirit. And I, again, I bring up Nicodemus because on the outside, you'll notice a change. And it's not because you're trying to. I often mention to the men uh, or Monday night men's Bible study, you know, we as men, we, we try so hard to be a Christian. We do Christian things. And I know this is not, not limited to just men, but we try to do Christian things. We wear t-shirts and put bumper stickers on our cars and listen to Christian radio. But those outward things, though they're good, don't make you a Christian. It's your heart. And when a person's heart is born again, when they believe that Jesus Christ is their Savior and they ask him to forgive them of their sin and to come live in their heart, the Bible says they're a brand new creation. And from the inside out, Jesus begins to change their lives. So Jim, that's how they know. They know something's different. Now, I remember, I mentioned this yesterday, November 30th, 1997, the day I gave my life to Jesus Christ. No one had to convince me that I was a sinner. I knew that I was a sinner. But when I gave my life to Jesus Christ that night, going to church as, as a Catholic person, I knew about him, but I didn't have a relationship with him. Till that night, I asked him to come live in my heart and forgive me of my sin. I knew something was different. And as I got to know him, I fell deeper in love with him. And my life began to change. You see that in Nicodemus. In fact, that's what I'll be teaching this Sunday. Uh, I, I love his story because there was an, a change, an obvious change in his life. And that's what I would tell your friend. That's what I would tell anyone that asks me, well, how do they know? How do I know if I'm born again? There's got to be a change. Whatever that change is, it's got to be the old Ken that was dead is, is now replaced with the new Ken who's been made alive by his spirit. I can go on and on, Jim, about this, but thank you for asking that wonderful, wonderful question that's exactly, again, what I'll be talking about on this Sunday. So, Jim, I hope that helps. Thank you for calling. Okay, let's go back to questions that were submitted. Uh, this one is from Anonymous. People around me keep making me sin. I know they don't mean to, or maybe they do, but they're always doing things they know will get me angry. Uh, okay, well, it's not really a question here. It's more like a statement, but I'm assuming you, you want to know how to deal with this. If you are a born-again Christian, Anonymous, then what I was just telling Jim, his question applies to you. If you're not a born-again Christian, well, then anonymous, there really is nothing you can do. People will always 
make you sin. And, and so let me address this two ways. If you're not a born-again Christian anonymous, then the only way you're going to ever uh, be able to not let people get to you, not let people get you angry, is if you give your heart to Jesus. When you give your heart to Jesus, then what you're saying is, Jesus, my life now belongs to you, and I surrender everything, all my thoughts, my opinions, the, 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 everything that I, I value and treasure, everything that matters to me, now I submit to the authority of you, Jesus. And this is important because we try so hard to make our lives happy lives. But it's never going to happen. You're never going to be completely satisfied apart from Jesus Christ. God designed our hearts that way. Every single one of us are, are created with uh, an emptiness. I always describe it as a, as a jigsaw puzzle piece that's missing. And, and whatever the case may be, uh, that emptiness, we try to replace with things, the things of this world. Uh, love, career, finances, relationship, material possessions, you name it. And maybe we attain some of those things, and we try to fit those things into that empty jigsaw puzzle piece, the missing piece. We may be even able to force it in there for a short time, but what we'll always find out is this, it pops out, meaning it doesn't satisfy, it doesn't fill that void, because that empty, empty jigsaw puzzle piece is, has a Jesus shape. That means that being born again is the only way that emptiness will be filled. Now, if you're a born-again Christian anonymous, this is important. When people make you angry and you say, people around me keep making me sin, no one can make you sin. No one can make you sin. The enemy himself can't even force you to sin. Now, he'll try to, but he can't force you to. When you're born again, you have the Spirit of God living in you, and he who lives in you is greater than he who lives in the world. All the things of our world, the society we live in, um, are designed to tempt your flesh into sin. But it's not the devil's fault. It's not the fault of the people around you. So what do we do if you say that they're always doing things to get you angry? It's like, or sometimes we phrase it in a way that, that like this. We say, well, they're always pushing my buttons, and they're always doing things that will make me angry. Remember this, James chapter 1 says that it's man's anger does not produce the righteousness of God. Man's anger does not produce the righteousness of God. Well, then why do we get angry? James goes on to say, we get angry, listen to this anonymous, because we don't get what we want. What do we want? We want to please our flesh. We want what we want. And if I don't get what I want, well, then I'll get angry. And when people around me are poking at me and doing things to me, and they're intentional or not intentional, they're just making me angry, that's not their fault, it's yours. And you're the one that's letting them get you to sin. In fact, Romans chapter 2 
says that it is the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. So when, when we get angry, what we're saying is that I'm not getting what I want. But when, we're, when we look at Jesus and his kindness towards us, even when we were his enemies, that's what leads us to repentance. So Anonymous, I hope you understand this. You need to repent. And you need to look at Jesus and his kindness towards you. And also remember this, practically speaking, never let anyone's disobedience to Jesus cause you to also disobey. Never let anyone's disobedience to Jesus cause you to disobey because you cannot control what people do. You just can't. I wish we could, but you cannot. You can only control how you respond to them. And if you give in to your flesh, you will get angry and respond in anger. But if you realize that this person that's making you angry is, is the object of God's affection, then instead of getting irritated by them, you'll see them as the object of your ministry, no matter what they do. And you won't be rendered useless, because that's what happens when we get angry. We render ourselves useless, and God can't use us to minister to the people that are the object of his affection. And so remember this. Never let anyone's disobedience to Jesus cause you to disobey. Because you cannot control what people do. You can only control how you react. Well, you can hear the music. That means we are done with the first half of the radio show. This is the Tuesday edition of The Word to Stand On for Life. My name is Pastor Ken. We will be back in two minutes. Back to the Word to Stand On for Life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the Tuesday edition of the Word to Stand On for Life. My name is Pastor Ken. I am filling in for my pastor, Pastor Ron Arbaugh, this week. He is on vacation, both he and Paula are doing well, relaxing in California. Their flight arrived yesterday, and I'm sure right now his his knees are soaking in that therapeutic salt water of the Pacific Ocean. <laughs> That's how he describes it, at least. Uh, and so, Pastor Ron, if you're listening, we love you. Enjoy. We're praying for you. And to the radio listening audience, he sends his love, and he thanks you for his prayers. As a programming note, reminder, we're live this week on the radio to take your calls. Uh, and then next week, we have pre-recorded programs uh, for the week, and then Pastor Ron will be back on air the following Monday. Hey, I forgot to mention a praise report. Now, this is an important one. Uh, there, Carlotta and Brad... Uh, messaged us yesterday. Now, Colotta is one of the, the staff here that serves at the Academy, and she has been faithfully serving for a very long time, even with all of the um, health issues that she's been dealing with and, and things at home. I know she's taking care of her mom. Uh, 
Um, she had a bout of bad news um, that caused her to scale back on her ability to serve here last year. We laid hands on her. We prayed for her. Uh, some of the pastors got together, and and uh, when she received the, the the bad news last year, uh, yesterday she messaged us, and she wanted everyone to know uh, the praise report was that uh, the doctor took a look at her and said that there is no cancer. And and we rejoice, Carlotta, if you're listening, thank you for letting us know. We will continue to pray for you and Brad. And these are the kinds of things that we, we look back on and, and just thank Jesus for his goodness. We know he doesn't always heal, but when he does, Carlotta, and you know this, uh, we want to use the strength that God has given us, the health that God has restored to, to serve him with all of our might. So for those of you that have been praying, especially from the, uh, the Academy staff, uh, that's nothing but great news. Carlotta uh, got good news from the doctor, and she is cancer-free. All right. Well, let's jump right back in uh, into the questions that have been su- submitted. Anonymous. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Alan. Are the titles Lord of Hosts and Lord of Heaven's Armies both the same? And are they referring to Jesus? Ooh, Alan, great question. Or questions. The answer is yes to both. The Lord of Hosts, literally in the Old Testament, is the Lord of Sabaoth. Not to be confused with the Lord of Sabbath. That's a different word, a different Hebrew word. But the Lord of Sabaoth is literally the Lord of Heaven's army. Now in Joshua chapter 5, if you remember, when he, Joshua, is approaching Jericho, he sees an authoritative figure standing with the sword before him. And then Joshua says this, Are you for us or are you for our adversaries? And then the response is this, a beautiful response. Neither I come to you as the commander of the army of the Lord. This is Jehovah Sabaoth. This is General Jesus that Pastor Ron affectionately refers to him as. And I love this because when Joshua is getting ready for battle and he sees this authoritative figure, he recognizes him this figure as the authority. And he says, are you for us? Or are you for the, our enemies? He says, I don't take sides. I come to you as the commander of the Lord, commander of the army of the Lord. So the Lord of hosts and the Lord of the heavens armies are both the same name, different titles, but they both refer to the same title, uh, same name of God. And in this case, in Joshua chapter 5, we see Jesus. And that's what one thing we have to always remember. The answer to your question is both yes. They always refer to Jesus. Remember, whenever you see a, the, a physical manifestation in the Old Testament, this is a, that's a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus, or what's called a Christology, uh, we know that because God is spirit, uh, when he takes uh, a form, a human form, 
before the incarnation, it has to be Jesus. And how do we know that? Well, in that same passage, when in Joshua chapter 5, the next verse, the, he says, take off your sandals, for the place that you're standing on is holy ground. Now we know this is what God said to Moses. And I love that because what Jesus is telling Joshua here is that you're in the presence of God. And, and you need to recognize that before you enter into battle, before you do anything, this is the single most important thing. And then I, I love to think about how Joshua responds. Oh yeah, great. Then it means we're on the same side. This is important now, and I love this because it means that you're studying your Bible, but it also is, is important that, just like Joshua, when we want the power of God's Spirit to work in our lives today as born-again Christians, it's always on His terms. Always on His terms. And uh, sometimes we want God to bless whatever endeavor we are engaged in, but he won't do it unless we do it on his terms. So the titles of the Lord of Hosts and the Lord of Heavens, the Lord of Heaven's armies, both are referring to uh, the same thing, and they're both referring to Jesus. Oh, I love that! I love that. Let me give you the phone numbers one more time. The phone numbers to call in: two one zero. 340-9585. The toll-free number is 877-630-5757. 877-630-5757. There's an email address to submit your questions if you choose to do so. Questions at calvarysa.com. That's questions, it's plural, at calvarysa.com. Or you can use the church mobile app to submit questions that way. Whatever is easiest for you. Oh, there's also one more thing. that The KSLR app, the radio station has their own app where you can dial in directly, hit the banner up top. It says call now. You don't have to mess with your phone. It'll take you directly to the uh, producer in the radio station and you can... Get on the air and ask your question that way. There is something I wanted to mention, and I don't normally do this when I'm on the radio, but this one of the questions yesterday uh, drew me to Isaiah chapter 40. Now, I won't go into detail about it, and I'm not going to do a Bible study on the chapter. In fact, Pastor Ron is coming up close on his Wednesday night study to chapter 40. Both him and I have been sort of joking about getting to that, uh, that, that oasis because there's a lot of judgment and repetition in the first 39 chapters of Isaiah, and he's almost there. But the very beginning of that huge transition in Isaiah's prophecy, beginning in chapter 40, you know, is sort of like the New Testament section of the 66 chapters. The, the remaining 27 uh, chapters in Isaiah, beginning at chapter 40, are 
God's uh, restoration or the redemption from sin. It's the salvation of Israel, really. And, and the reason why I bring that up is because the very first word in Isaiah 40 are comfort, comfort. I love that. Comfort, comfort for my people. Now, the reason why I bring this up, uh, yesterday on the radio show, I was thinking about some of the turmoil that I know uh, people are going through right now. There are some people here in the church body going through some of the most difficult time in their life. Uh, recent tragedies and deaths in the family. Uh, and I know because of the radio listening audience, this is something that people are always dealing with. I want you to know this. When Isaiah wrote this, it was almost a hundred years ahead of time when God would actually comfort his people. He knew the difficult time they were going to go through. And so through the prophet Isaiah wrote to his people and said, comfort, comfort is what I bring my people. It reminds us of John chapter 14, one of the most encouraging chapters in the New Testament. John chapter 14, where Jesus himself says, the helper, the comforter that the King James uses, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things. God is a God of comfort. And I know some of you are going through a really difficult time. I've talked with some of you. And he just wants you to know that his arms are wide open and he wants to comfort you. Now, don't mistake that with what we always say, too, about comfort. Comfort is, is the enemy of our walk. Now, when I'm talking about the enemy of our walk, and I talk about that kind of comfort, I'm talking about earthly comfort. As a Christian, when we seek comfort, we're looking for a place where we can just rest and relax and and, and, and take our focus off of Jesus and turn it to ourselves, that kind of comfort is a dangerous comfort. But the comfort that t comes from God is a good comfort, a comforter. The Holy Spirit will teach you all things and bring to the remembrance all the things that Jesus said to us. I hope that makes sense, and I hope that really comforts some of you today especially those of you that are going through a really, really difficult time. The next question is from Brian. Is Psalm 80, verses 17 and 18, messianic? It is, actually. And so let me read the verse and then explain a little bit about the context and explain why it is messianic. Psalm 80 is actually one of those psalms that, that gets overlooked as a messianic psalm. Verse 17 says, let your hand rest on the man at your right hand. The son of man you have raised up for yourself. Then we will not turn away from you. Revive us and we will call on your name. Now, 
Psalm 80 was written by Asaph. And the reason why it's messianic, well, first let's look at the, the structure of this psalm. I love how uh, the psalmist is penning a prayer. Really, it's a prayer of, of revival. It's a prayer of restoration for Israel. And, and Asaph begins, or halfway through, uses the illustration of Israel as a vine. And we know in the Old Testament that in Isaiah chapter 5, even in the New Testament, Jesus referred to Israel as the vine in Matthew chapter 21. But here in this psalm, this is a story of restoration. We know Israel was disobedient to God. Isaiah's entire prophecy, at least the first 39 chapters, uh, repeat time after time after time how Israel has disobeyed God. And not only disobeyed God, but they've gone to the pagan peoples and the surrounding nations uh, and sought shelter, sought protection, sought the, the wealth of these people affiliated with them partnered with them instead of repenting and coming back to God. And in the fifth chapter of Isaiah, there's the song of the vineyard and God speaking through the prophet Isaiah is saying the same thing, almost the same thing that Asaph is saying here in Psalm 80. You've ruined yourself because of sin but there will come a time when I will restore you. That's why at the end of the psalm, Brian, uh, the verses that you mentioned, verses 17 and 18, talk about that restoration after that time of judgment. Let your hand rest on the man at your right hand. This man, ultimately, we know, is Jesus. He is God's right-hand man. Now, he is God, God the Son, and the Son of God, but he's the one that's going to Restore Israel. But the man at that right hand, the son of man that you have raised up for yourself, that's whom Israel will turn their eyes to. They will reject him. They have rejected him and they will rebel against him. But we know in the end times, they will call on his name. That's what it says in verse 18. Revive us and we will call on your name. Ephesians chapter 1 and Hebrews chapter 8 refer to Jesus as being the right hand, at the right hand of God. That signifies the authority that Jesus has to bring the revival and restoration of Israel. That vine that was malnourished and destroyed will be restored. That's Israel. So this is a messianic psalm. It's, it's an eschatological psalm. points to the end times when Jesus will restore his people. So, Brian, I hope that that helps. Let's move on to the next question. It comes from Annette. Uh, Annette asked, do angels have free will? Uh, angels, they had free will and we know from Revelation chapter 12, we, knew, we know also know from Hebrews chapter 12, 
that there was a third of the angels that fell along with Satan. And at that time, they had a one-time decision to choose if they wanted to follow God or not. And though there is no redemption for the ones that chose to rebel against God, we know that they, they went and fell, and those are the ones that became fallen angels. So they at one point had a, a choice to make, and a third of them we learn, though there is no verse that says uh, there is only one third, but putting a few verses together from Hebrews chapter 12 and Revelation chapter 12, we learn that they fell with when, when Satan fell. Now, then they serve him. And I think the practical application uh, we learn from Peter is this, that angels are servants of God. And so in heaven we know that there is no sin. But those who are with uh, Jesus in heaven, those angels, they're there to serve him. Angels are being used by God now even to minister to, to the people here on earth. But they look, longingly look into the work that God is doing in the lives of his own people here on earth. And that's what's neat to me. Because the work that God is doing in our lives, Brian, uh, oh, I'm sorry, Annette, the work that God is doing in our lives is what's important. And, and God's creation, the angels, look into our lives to see the fruit that God is producing. So I hope that helps. All right, let me give you the phone lines. We've got at least six minutes here left in the show, so we have time to take your calls. 210-340-9585. The toll-free number is 877-630-5757. The email address is questions at calvarysa.com. Questions at calvarysa.com. I know the phone lines have been quiet lately, and I understand that. The, uh, uh, in fact, listening to Pastor on the past couple of shows, uh, I know that it's been quiet, so and that's okay. But uh, if you have an opportunity to call, uh, we, we'd appreciate it. 210-340-9585. Let me continue with something else before I go on to the uh, next question. Uh, there was a lady that um, came in for counseling and uh, recently, this week, uh, and obviously we're not going to give details. This is private, but one of the things that she shared with, with my wife and I was that... Uh, something that she's going through is more than she can bear. And she wanted to get help with that. And, and all we did was direct her to the one who is called the helper, the comforter. It's another reason why John 14 verse 26 is such a vitally important 
uh, verse for us. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is to come alongside us and to help us, to teach us. In our desperate time of need, that's his purpose. Well, when our lives are crowded with circumstances that crowd Jesus out, then the helper isn't able to come alongside of us. That really was heavy in my heart because intellectually she knew this, but she couldn't put it into practice because she was closer to her circumstances than she was to Jesus. John 14, 26 is a treasure because the Holy Spirit, God the Spirit, wants to be active in our lives. But if we crowd him out, we won't hear his voice. We have a call, so let's go back to our phone lines. We do have a few more minutes left in the show. Line one, James from Seguin, you're on the air. Thank you for calling. Well, yes, sir. Thank you for, for taking my call. Um, I have uh, a lot of friends that have various opinions on uh, pre-tribulation uh, uh, coming of Jesus, uh, whether it occurs post-tribulation. And when I'm reading the letter of Paul um, to that uh, Greek church, to me it sounds like that they're uh, trying to more or less address, well, we were anticipating the coming of Jesus a lot sooner. What about my poor fellow Christians and family members that have already passed? And to me, he's answering that question. I've never really seen that particular text used as an understanding of a pre-tribulation appearance of Jesus, because my thought was that um, Jesus came as a lamb, and the next time he comes as a lion. It seems to me that if he's coming to greet you in the air, then that's kind of like a coming or a partial coming or maybe an unnoticeable coming, or I'm not really sure. And then the other thought was, is I've often wondered why Paul uh, didn't use the preaching of teach, teaching of Jesus when he just said that, you know, being absent in the body was being present with the Lord. And so it's a bigger question probably than maybe you might have time with, and I've tried wrapping my mind around it. I don't really hang my Christian faith and belief, nor my walk on it, uh, because I always want to be prepared whenever Christ comes. Absolutely. But there were tribulations, and I mean, they used to, um, without being too vulgar, I mean, they used to put people on stakes, little sure. miniature people of one, two, three in age, um, uh, dipping okay. kerosene and, and burning his torches. So I cannot okay, imagine James. a worse. <laughs> oh, okay, James. Well, well, you can hear the music. Oh. The answer to your question is the Bible does. Paul the Apostle was pre-tribulational in his eschatology. I, I will explain that passage tomorrow in in First Thessalonians. Uh, so thank you, James, for calling in. You can hear the music. This is the end of the Tuesday edition of The Word to Stand On for Life. We'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock. God bless you. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio.